Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. Ryan Nicodemus is actually down in Florida taking care of his grandma right now, but that's okay. We have Ramit Sethi in the building, in the studio. How you doing? Outstanding. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. So, so we're going to talk about some stuff today. You have a book. It's 10 years old now. Congratulations. The Thank second you. edition is out. It's called... I will teach you how to be rich. I will teach you to be rich. Oh, there's no how in there. That, 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 that's important because here's the thing. Actually, that's perfect because I accidentally inserted some words into this title. In fact, I was a bit turned off by the title of the book years ago because I realized I was placing my own judgments on it because it was, we think of rich, what do we think about? We think of filthy rich. Right. I will teach you how to be filthy rich as opposed to I will teach you how to be rich or I will teach you to be rich. I found myself inserting some words there. Now, what was the impetus of of writing this book? And we're going to dive into some questions here in a moment. But can you talk about why you wrote this a decade ago and why was it time to revise it at this point? The reason that I wrote the book was I had been writing a blog for years. I started it when I was in college. And the reason that I started the blog was that I tried to teach my friends about money in college and nobody came. Nobody wants to go to an event about money. It makes them feel bad about themselves. Mm. And so I started writing a blog and I wanted to write a blog as if you and I were sitting here, just like we are, and we'd be talking about the cheap friend we've got who never tips and what do I do with 2,000 bucks I've got sitting in my checking account and what are all these investing things people talk about? I started writing it making it fun. I started learning. And after I had done that for several years, I treated my blog like a lab, an experimental laboratory. So I was studying human behavior and psychology. And all the money advice out there is very academic. Keep a budget. Uh, don't spend money on lattes. It all sounds nice on a piece of paper until you actually try it in real life. Mm. And I didn't want to live a life where I was counting pennies for the rest of my life. So I started this blog, started it, treated like an experimental lab, and after several years, I built a system. I love systems that scaled. What that meant is I could spend less than an hour a month on my money. It was going where I needed it to go. And at that point, people kept asking me the same questions, like the same 20 questions. Okay. What do I do with my money? Uh, what's the best savings account? Blah, blah, blah. Tell you the truth. The reason I wrote the book was I just wanted to hand it to them and be like, read this. Uh, <laughs> like, here are the answers to your five questions and the 15 you should be asking, read the book. Gotcha. Now, now with... With this book, to be rich yeah. means something different. Last night, we went to a book launch event that you had in West Hollywood. And uh, you, we sort of did this roundtable where you asked everyone, like, what is their rich life? And it's fascinating because quite often when we think of rich, it's what I just said is like, what is filthy rich? And you think of... Um, opulence you you think of unnecessary splurging on things that probably aren't going to add value to our lives and what i really liked is you went around and asked people what their rich life was and some people were like it means i can go out to dinner once a week or it means that i'm able to put my kids into a private school or whatever it might be and everyone has a different idea of what a rich life is yeah 
I think you're 100% right that the title, look, I don't know if I'd name this book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich Again. Uh-huh. I-, I picked it when I was in college and I was sober when I picked the name, <laughs> but it, you know, it was a punchy title. And let's be honest, if you take a look at a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich with this huge text on the front, I'm not surprised that a few years ago you said, eh, it's not for me. It well, ha- because I, I didn't, like to me, rich was almost a, a turnoff because I walked away from a corporate world personally where I was making good money. I was ostensibly rich, although I was broke, man. I made really good money. I was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in Dayton, Ohio, and I man, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I wasn't actually rich. I was irresponsible with the funds I was making. And by the way, I wasn't spending on things that brought me greater joy, happiness. I certainly didn't feel like I was living a rich life. I completely understand. Uh, and and so what happens is you start doing, maybe you're doing well, maybe you're in debt. It doesn't matter what your financial situation is. R- a rich life is correlated, although not identical to how much money you've got. Mm-hmm. I was rich before I had money. I grew up with two parents in America. I went to a great college and I made great friends. I was rich back then. Then I added money to it. Mm-hmm. Now, money... I, we should be really clear. Money is an important part of a rich life, but it's a small part. It's it's in many ways an amplifier. I think it's an amplifier. I think so. I think there's this phrase, there's so many phrases in our culture that reveal ourselves. And one of them is money changes people. And listen to how people say that. Money changes people. Such a disparaging tone. You know what? Of course money changes people. It should change people. It should make you be able to dream bigger than you ever thought. It should make you be able to take something that you didn't enjoy doing or doesn't add value and remove it from your life or delegate it from your life or simply make it go away. Money should change your life. But the common perception is that if I made a million dollars, I'm going to start blowing it on this and that. And that doesn't have to happen. That reveals a profound lack of trust in yourself. I know, I always knew, and I know it now, if I made 10 times more than what I make today, it's not like I'm going to go blow it on a bunch of Ferraris that I don't care about. I bought a four-door Honda Accord when I graduated from college. Uh Like, I'm a sensible Indian dude. (laughs) But I know that, I knew that if I made more money, I would be able to dial into the things that value, that I value. Things like... Uh, relationships. For example, I brought my wife and I brought our parents along with us on our six-week honeymoon. We could talk about that. Really? Yeah, for part of it, not for all of it. For the first week, and then we're like, "Have and, a nice time." And also, you've updated the book to yeah. talk about relationship advice with respect to to money. Totally, and that is another area where, as you accumulate money, which again is just a small but important part of a rich life, you can use it to craft your rich life with your partner or with your parents, or with your friends. My dream when I started off was just to be able to order a round of drinks for my friends mm. and not have to worry, do I have enough money in the bank? That's a rich life. And then as you make more money, your dreams can get bigger. So yes, money does change people, but it should. And you choose where where and how it changes you. It's, it is an amplifier. When I say amplifier, I mean it can amplify your bad behaviors. True. And, or it can amplify your good behaviors, right? Uh, we often talk about tools and technology is one of those tools, but uh, a fairly crude analogy is like if you have a chainsaw, you can use it for all kinds of really good things like, oh my God, this tree is about to fall on my neighbor's house. Let me protect them by, by cutting the limbs off or whatever. Or you can use it to chop your neighbor into tiny little pieces. <laughs> it really depends on, on how you use that tool. And money is a tool. I also think that we, 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 we unfortunately treat it as if it is the most important thing in our lives. And 
then of course we want to swing away from that and then we pretend it's not important at all. 100%. We have a very paradoxical culture, which is extremely unhealthy. On one hand, it's so puritanical. People are using words like money changes people or money's evil, it's the root of all evil. That's not even the real quote, but that's what people repeat. Uh-huh. And uh, if if they made money, they had to step on people to get there. All these phrases that we grew up with. But in, in last night, you were, you were you actually had people say, well, when you think of money, what is the first thing you, you talk about? And I heard words like anxiety or debt. Embarrassed. Or embarrassed. Struggle. Yeah. And, uh, and then a few people were like security yeah. or... Flexibility. Oh, yeah. We had a couple yesterday that used my book and my material, and uh, th- there were a couple, and they said, we love that we can decide, hey, we want to go to Paris next week. Let's go. That is a rich life to them. And that's flexibility. So it's so interesting that in our culture, we talk about all the negative things about money, but nobody sits down and actually talks about the real positive ones. Notice, by the way, that the minute you start talking about the positive, people will immediately drift into the negative. They'll go like this. You go, what could money do for you? What's your rich life? And people will say, oh, uh, I could travel. It's not like I need to go first class everywhere. It's not like I need this or that. They start by saying what they don't want. We Mm. love to define ourselves by what we don't do. And what I would challenge people with a rich life is to define yourself by what you do, what you want, Uh and then work backwards from there. Isn't it fascinating how one person's rich life is another person's sort of misery, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I know for me, I I really dislike traveling. And and so um, I think about these people who are like, yeah, if, if I just had a million dollars, I could travel the world. I'm like, if I had a million dollars, the last thing I would want to do is travel the world with that. And that was what was so fascinating about the event last night is people, it, it wasn't this... Um, you put specificity behind what a rich life is. So let me ask you this. What is your rich life? Uh, my rich life is to be able to never have to make a bad decision because of money. Specifically, never have to work with someone that I don't like or that I don't respect. If that's the case, goodbye. Like, they don't work with me anymore. And that could be an employee, a vendor, a uh, place I get coffee from. That's it. Uh, it's to be able to travel for one month per year with my wife. And it's to be able to create a family trip with my whole family at least once every couple of years where we just kind of really enjoy bringing the nephews and nieces with us. So those are the things that are my rich life. But I have to tell you that ebbs and flows over time. Okay. Like when I started out 22 years old, it was to be able to order appetizers because I never got to do that growing up as a kid. Then it was like, oh, I moved to New York. I want to take the train, excuse me, I want to take a cab during summer because I don't want to walk into a meeting dripping with sweat. Uh I sweat a lot. Look at this body hair. I sweat a lot. (laughs) And then, you know, your dreams get bigger, right? So then it was, for example, with our honeymoon, this was an interesting example that I didn't even realize how small I was thinking. So my plan when we got married was I'd been saving for a honeymoon for a long time. One of the things I talk about in the book is the difference between the wealthy and everyone else is the wealthy save before they need to. So I'd been saving for my wedding when I was in my mid-20s, even though I never met my wife until I was in my Uh mid-30s. And same for a honeymoon, engagement ring, all this stuff that is predictable, but you just don't quite know when it's going to happen. And I show how to do that with these automated savings accounts. So we had planned, like, let's go on a seven or eight day safari. That was our plan. Sounds like an amazing honeymoon. I've never been there. And we sat down with a couple, a couple of couples, and we told them, and they were a bit older, and they'd been married for a while, and they said, oh, that sounds amazing. When we went on our honeymoon, we took six months off. And 
my wife and soon to be wife looked at each other like who the hell are these people mm. and then the couple next to them was like we took a year off and we walked out of that dinner we thought they were just normal people like you or me mm. but we walked out looking at each other like what our first reaction which is the common reaction when you hear someone spending time or money in a crazy way you say that's ridiculous <laughs> but then the second place we went was this this amazing place called uh what if what if we did that what if we just spent a year abroad mm. and we didn't want to do a year but we it kind of blew my mind and it's ironic because i teach people how to dream bigger and how to execute bigger whether it's money career psychology entrepreneurship and we started to say what if we did that mm. and so that we were now living in a place of imagination so we started saying six weeks let's make a list of all the places we could go and we're really bad at geography so we plotted them on google maps they're like all over the world we're like okay okay let's dial it back six weeks and independently our dream which we kind of came to on our own was let's bring our parents with us to let's bring them to italy italy's safe everybody loves cheese right mm -hmm. and like we can take them to the vatican it'll be beautiful so we brought them and what was amazing was her parents never even had a passport mm -hmm. so it was a big deal we brought them with us we created these magical memories that you know we will never be able to experience that exact thing again and we loved it and then we went on to kenya India and Thailand mm. so that was our rich life for that moment in time and we just absolutely loved it and we're gonna dive some more into the book we do have some questions today that I, I want to get to today we're gonna talk about earning income we'll talk about managing money we'll talk about financial willpower Ooh. I know that's something that you talk about we're gonna talk about some budgeting mistakes and I think we may even disagree on budgeting a little bit even the which, word budgeting yeah I think I think we might disagree on that a little bit um, and we're gonna talk more about what it means to live a rich life and so let's dive into some of these questions here our first question is from Renee in Oklahoma City so I have uh, $125 a month to save, and I would like to have a recommendation from you all on what is the wisest way to invest or save $125 every month. Now, this word budget is almost uh, a, a bad word for you. It's it like the, wor word. the worst four-letter word. Now, I... Um, I'm a bit of a disciple of Dave Ramsey. We went out on tour with his yeah. uh, his team last uh, summer. So, um, and I I agree with probably 99% of what he talks about. And the 1% I disagree with are opinions, by the way. And I think where you and I are going to disagree today, if we do, are actually going to be on our own opinions. We're not going to disagree about facts, I don't think, right? And there's a fact here that Renee ha has $125 a month to save. Is that a fact? Exactly. Well, that's a question, right? It, it, is it a fact? Because my, what I would say is, well, if you have a budget, m maybe you would have more than $125 a month to okay. save. So let's talk about this. Okay. I'll tell you, we. Pr I love uh, healthy disagreements. So I'm pumped. I love it. And I think that for people listening, it is very revealing because there are sometimes facts that you know, that are just cut and dry. And then a lot of times there are different ways to look at the same thing. So I don't like budgets for several reasons. Number one, they don't work. When people, you talk to any American and they know they should keep a budget and yet they don't. Mm. And why is that? Because number one, it makes people feel bad about themselves. And if there's anything Americans are good at, it's avoiding feeling bad. 
Number two, they don't know how much they owe or how much they spend, but they know it's bad. Mm. And so who's going to go through the work of actually writing down this stuff or opening up some account and then looking at it? They might do it for one month. Mm -hmm. They may do it for two, but after that, it's done. Mm. And I've seen this consistently through my own millions and millions of readers. What I prefer is something that is similar but very different. And that is, instead of looking backwards at what you spent, look forward and say, where do I want my money to go? And so what I do in the book is I recommend some specific percentages. Here's how much you should be saving. Here's how much you should be investing. And this one people really love. Here's how much you should be spending on guilt-free spending. You want to buy a leather jacket? You want to go out to an amazing dinner? Awesome. Mm -hmm. Be my guest. So I want people to not necessarily look backwards in their spending, but actually look forward. And as part of that, focus on the things they love as part of their rich life. That is much more motivational. It also sticks a lot more than every month looking at what you spent and feeling bad. It sounds to me like what you're describing is a budget. And so maybe we're just <laughs> using different vernacular in a way, because um, I know an app that is really, it's, it's Dave Ramsey's app, uh, the Every Dollar app, which I think sometimes we just don't know where our money is going, mm -hmm. right? And I think what you're talking about when you say looking forward is like, okay, how, if I'm making $2,000, if I'm bringing home $2,000 a month, how am I going to best spend this money, right? And it sounds to me like Renee is saying, okay, well, of that 2000 I have $125 left. And now she's asking, what, well, what the hell do I do with this money? I, I think they're similar, but I don't think they're exactly the same. So if you talk to someone who keeps a strict budget mm -hmm. and they track where, they, where they're spending it, I bet you they're really good at knowing how much they spend on groceries every month mm -hmm. or how much they spend on their car payment. But if you ask them, where do you want your money to go? Where do you want to be in a year or three years? What are your values that are being represented through your spending? Mm -hmm. They will suddenly get very quiet because it's one thing to know line by line how much you're spending on your car payment and groceries. It's another thing to say, this is my philosophy. This is what I love spending on. And I spend 16% of my money on this area because I love it. Mm -hmm. But I spend only 3% of my money or I have no TV because that's not part of my financial values. So that is there is a subtle but profound difference. Now, I will say that I do encourage people to track their spending for a couple of weeks in the book. But beyond that, I want them to look forward, not only look backward. Yeah, so, so with Renee, she says she has 125 bucks yeah. left. First thing I would say is if you're in debt, I would, I would get out of debt and I'd use that money to pay off debt. That'd be my, my personal advice, what I would do if I were in her scenario. Now, if Renee is indeed debt-free, where do we go from there? Well, there, there's a short answer and there's a longer answer. The short answer is I would start saving that money and build up about three months of expenses. That's a nice emergency fund. Once she's got that built up, which will take her a while, she can then go on and start investing it. And there are nice ways to do that. Simple, easy ways like a target date fund. Um, what I would, the longer answer is I would say, are you sure? you have $125 only. I would love to take a look at her spending. I would love to take a look at her income. There are often ways to save hundreds, thousands of dollars, like right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you some of the stuff in the book, and I have the exact words that you can use. People pay their cable companies, and they don't realize you can call them and negotiate $600 off with one phone call. Same with your cell phone company. Same sometimes often with your rent, mm -hmm. okay? I've done that before in Manhattan. So there's lots of different ways you can make instant savings, and that money can automatically go 
into a savings account or in her case, an investment account as well. And so you can reduce those expenses. You can radically reduce them by eliminating them. Like you said, yeah, I'm paying you know 60 bucks a month for cable, but I watch it three times a month. Why am I even paying for this at all? And so instantly you've given yourself a, a raise. Yeah, one of the things that Ryan and I often say is that the best way to give yourself a pay raise is to spend less money. Like that's an immediate pay raise. But then also in the book, you, you do talk about like, it's not just about saving money, it's about bringing more money in or finding different ways to, to increase your income. There is a limit to how much you can cut Right. there is no limit to how much you can earn. Yeah, because if you're spending $20,000 a year right now, you can only cut $20,000 a year. Yeah, and at a certain point, you've, you've cut to the bone. What's interesting is, I'll just say this one thing about cutting. When people come to me and they say, I've cut to the bone, there's nothing else I can do. I say, okay, what have you done? And they basically say, I've done one thing, and that's it. And yeah. so there's usually more than people think they can do, but there is a limit, and I find it much more rewarding and also more mathematically compelling to focus on the earning side. Now, there's a very interesting question about why don't more personal finance people talk about earning more? The answer is very simple. They don't know how. Mm. Most people writing about personal finance, their bread and butter is simply cutting back. And so I wanted to change that with I Will Teach You To Be Rich. That's why we talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about freelancing. We talk about the fact that you can actually, it doesn't matter where you live, she lives wherever she lives, you can find clients, whether they're local or whether they're remote. And we have people, we have caricature artists, we have dog walkers, we have Excel consultants, and you can dramatically increase your earnings. Last night, one of the guys who was at the event, he said, I used your YouTube video on salary negotiation, I sent an email, and I got a $5,000 raise, right? There are the actual words, you can get them for free on YouTube or on my website or in the book, and you can negotiate massive raises. So people shouldn't forget, I have this thing I call the CEO strategy. Cut costs, yes. Earn more, don't forget about that, and then optimize your expenses, your cable, your cell phone. You can call them up and you can negotiate five, 600 bucks off right away. I like what you said about values a moment ago because uh, I don't want money to be the primary driver for doing what you do. If you're making money just for the sake of making money, that's not, not, that's not very fun. In long term, it's, it's not... Um, it's not a rewarding strategy. I mean, it might reward your bank account, but you—we've all seen, you know, the 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 sort of picture of opulence, like the 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 guy alone in his mansion, sort of thing. And like, oh, I don't aspire to be that. What you're talking about is identifying what your values are, and then figuring out how money will amplify those values. Hundred percent. And I agree with you. I mean, in in fact, when I was in my early twenties. If you had asked me, what do you think about money? I would have said, I want more. Mm. <laughs> and if you had said why, I wouldn't have had a good answer. I might have just said some words, but ultimately it was something that I wanted. I want, And I was willing to work for it, which is good, but there wasn't much thought as to why. <clears throat> and so I think it's an interesting journey because I came from a family that was very middle class. My mom stayed home with us, my dad worked. Now, having earned more through my business and through investing, I can say that money is important. It definitely allows me to do things and dream bigger than I ever would have. Mm. But an extra zero doesn't change anything. Yeah. It really doesn't. And it, and also, just like if if I had another million dollars tomorrow, I would not go out and buy a Ferrari or any kind of, because I just don't care about that. I don't even have a TV. It's not important. My laptop that I run my entire business off of with dozens of employees is a 2012 MacBook Air. 
and my wife makes fun of me, but it doesn't matter. It works. I like to buy the best and keep it for as long as I can. So I believe in that. But on the other hand, I do have things that I absolutely love and I spend extravagantly and unapologetically on. Those are the things that get me excited. It's not the money in the bank account. It's living outside the spreadsheet and, and you know, for example, being able to do this and come but, in here. But it's not, it's not to impress other people. No. It's in line with the person that you want to be. In fact, if anything, like I'll give you an example because one of my money dials, the thing that I, I call it a money dial, I love spending on is clothes. You will never see... Now, your wife's a personal stylist, right? She's a personal stylist, but I loved it before her, but I, uh-huh. I got a lot more sophisticated once she taught me what she does. And um, you will never see me wearing some big logo shirt. In fact, if I am successful, uh, my clothes are for me, not for anyone else, and you will never know what brand I'm wearing. Yeah. Never. So as I became uh, more interested in this area of life... It's funny because most of my readers, they, they follow me when it comes to psychology, careers, et cetera, but they think clothes are stupid and shallow. Mm. It's really funny. And so I get it because when I was younger, I thought the same, but then I started to fall in love with the craft. The craft of like, who's making this? What's the artisan that's creating this sweater by hand? And as part of our honeymoon in Italy, we went to the factory of my favorite brand and saw the artisans creating it and kind of learned about where they come. They have a school there on the property. That to me represents what, when you truly love something, like if somebody has five BMWs, to me, I don't get it. But to them, they're like, let me show you the torque in this BMW. Let me show you that I went to Germany to pick up my car and drive it on their track. They love beyond showing off. At a certain point, it's not about showing off. It's about finding the value in that thing for yourself. Yeah, and it's finding the experience yes. that uh, that resonates with you because I, I, I'm with you. Like for me, having five BMWs would do nothing. My Toyota's fine for me. Yep. Although I did used to, I, I owned um, two Lexuses at one point back in my corporate days. At the days. same time? Yeah, same time. <laughs> a- and a Land Rover. Um, and there was nothing wrong with those cars. They were really nice cars and they worked really well, but I didn't actually own them either. I was making the car payment on them every month. And that, that's a terrible strategy. I, I would never recommend ever having a car payment. I don't know if you talk about that at all in the yeah. book. but Listen, I have my own rules on money. And one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to create their own rules. So you can find mine online. It's on my Instagram account or everywhere. One of them is, you know, I want to save 20 to 30% every year. And if I'm doing that, then I know that my expenses are basically being handled. Another one is that I want to, Pay, I want to pay in full for large purchases. A car, I want to be able to pay in full or go in there and pay in full. Uh, a, a trip, a honeymoon, a wedding, I have the money already saved up. I am definitely not going into debt. Then there were a couple of others that surprised people. Um, one of them was marry the right person. Mm. I think that's probably the most important financial decision you can ever make. But remember, as I say, money's about living outside the spreadsheet. So yes, you can learn how to automate and invest and all this asset allocation. Yes, you should learn the technical stuff. Most people who complain about money have never spent one weekend reading anything about money. They're 45. Oh, boo-hoo, life is so tough. Oh, systematic inequality. All those things are true. But you never spent 48 hours reading anything about the most important complaint in your life. Get real. So that's that's one thing. Uh, your, your relationship is critical. And then another thing is, I wrote a rule saying, any flights over four and a half hours, business class. Now, you might not agree. You might not care. You might think it's a waste of money or you might not be able to afford it. Any of those things are fine. 
What I want everyone to do is to create their own point of view. I guarantee someone's gonna say, you know, go to this steak place once a month because it's so cool. Like, I don't care about that steak. That's not my thing. But if you love it and you can afford it, God bless. That's what I want everyone to do. Come up with your own point of view and be unapologetic about it. Let's dive into a few of these lightning round questions. So we, we, we pick up some questions from Twitter, Instagram, and, and Facebook. We're at The Minimalists on all those platforms. You're at Ramit on Twitter. Um, and Instagram. And Instagram. Nice. And so you can you can follow him there. You can ask him some more questions on social media. Our first question here. Oh, by the way, we share these in the show notes as well. So what, what we do is... Uh, we, we try to answer with like a pithy, tweetable answer, but really right. we, we can ramble on a little bit and okay. Sean will tweeze out something that sounds good. And then Jessica puts all these in one place, minimalmaxims.com. Our first question is from Nile Chronicles in Istanbul. How can we block the sudden urge to spend our hard-earned savings on shopping, gifts, luxury items, and dining out? Ramit. What can we do to, to stop the urge? Don't block your desires. Uh, yeah. Plan for them and acknowledge them. Mm. So yeah. and what and I guess maybe maybe I, what I would say is are they your desires or, or are they desires someone else handed to you, right? Right. Well, that's a whole thing. I mean, uh, you know, many people, especially in America, are buying things that if you probed them why they're getting it, it boils down to I want to feel good for. A couple of hours yeah i want to spend money i don't have yeah to buy things i don't need to impress people i don't even know yeah on the other hand though it's perfectly okay if you say to yourself you know what i really want that mm. yes yeah. get it let me show you how to even dream bigger so i think for this person what i'm willing to bet is that they are playing whack-a-mole with their money mm. so they wake up they start the month Ooh, i'm motivated i need to save some money i really should do that and then by the end they're scrolling instagram they're reading their emails with links to stuff to buy and they buy this and they buy that and they don't even really care about it i would rather have them sit down and say you know what what do i love stop dreaming small dream big i i want a leather jacket i'm going to make this up uh maybe i could get a leather jacket from gap dream bigger maybe you can get an even cooler leather jacket or something you really love okay, great, what's it gonna take to get that? I'm gonna need to save for X months and I'm gonna discipline myself by automating the money so I don't have to log in every day. And by the, you're building this muscle of discipline, of automation. And at the end, the payoff is you get that thing you truly loved. Mm. What a lot of people might discover, which I think aligns a lot with the minimalist philosophy is, I didn't really even want this leather jacket. Yes, and I think that's ultimately the, the message of minimalism is you probably don't want that. And, and my message is maybe you did. And if you did, awesome. Now you know the work that it takes to get there and now you can plan for something even bigger next time. And my, my pithy answer here really echoes what you were saying is a bad habit is better replaced than avoided. So what you're talking about with the whack-a-mole uh, th this person, Niall Chronicles, is, is saying, well, you know, I've got, I want to buy this, I want to buy this, I want to buy this, and I think they're all bad habits. Well, maybe most of them are, but maybe there is something that will truly add value to your life. That's the thing you aspire toward, and the other things are then replaced by that higher quality thing. Totally agree. Let's take dieting as an example. By the way, dieting, very interesting. When I first wrote this book 10 years ago, I compared fitness and food with finances and you know it's there's obvious links you we don't count calories we don't count where we spend our money etc cetera, etc cetera. 
This time, 10 years later, I was strongly advised to strip out all recommendations about diets and food. Why? Because it's become controversial mm -hmm. to even suggest that people might want to change their body, lose weight, etc. And I refused because I've gone on not only my financial journey, but my fitness journey. I used to be 127 pounds, super skinny. I called myself a skinny Indian guy, which is the language we use to describe ourselves is very toxic, right? We, some of us say, oh, I could never make money. My family doesn't do that, on and on and on. I had to learn to change the way I describe myself and then get help from teachers and trainers and things like that. So in the book, I talked about, again, the similarities between fitness and finances. And one of the things you'll see people when they're going with their plate, they're fixated on how many carbs should I have? Ooh, pasta is really bad for you. That's one way to look at it. Let me try to take away the bad. Another way to look at it is let me start with the good. Let me add a little bit more lean protein. It's okay if I want to have dessert, no problem, but I'm going to start by filling my plate up with what's good. And that is totally applicable to finances. If this guy is worried about all these bad, quote, bad things, I don't even like using the word bad, mm -hmm. these things that he tends to overspend on, maybe he can start by saying, what is the thing I love? Mm -hmm. Let me focus on that. And the natural overspending areas will disappear when he's focusing on what his rich life is. Yeah, I often think about uh, we're, we're fixated on all of the negative. You're probably gonna get a negative result there. We got another question here from our lightning round. Uh, Lee Sophia from Washington State asks, how did I get into this mess with all my credit cards? Uh, I just give you a pithy answer here. A ditch is dug one shovel full at a time. I mean, that's ultimately, you probably didn't go out and get 10 credit cards. You know, the, what is it? The average uh, American has uh, four credit cards. One in 10 Americans has 10 or more active credit cards in his or her wallet. And you probably didn't, didn't go out overnight and have 10 credit cards. Say, I'm going to max them out tomorrow. It happened one shovel full at a time. That's how you got to a, a ditch. I'll give you a second pithy answer here. Every foundation was once a ditch. And so you might be in a ditch right now, but this could be your future foundation. You, you might be at your breaking point. Love that. Mine is the problem is not credit cards. The problem and the solution is you. The credit cards, if it wasn't the credit cards, it would have been something else. The real opportunity here is to look at why you opened them up. Go back and get really specific. What happened on that sixth credit card? Somebody came to you when you were shopping at Banana Republic and said 10% off. Oh, 10% is such a great deal. You saved $4 opening that credit card. Why are you bothering? Most people are asking themselves $3 questions. They really should be asking themselves $30,000 questions. That's the real problem, I almost guarantee. This guy's going around trying to save $4 or, oh, I got a 10,000 mile bonus for opening up this airline card. Stop thinking at the $3 level. Close those accounts. It'll hurt your credit for a little while, but they will recover. Focus on one or two great credit cards, cash back, travel, keep it simple, and focus on changing your psychology away from $3 questions to focusing on $30,000 questions like investing. The thing I would say about credit cards, we'll, we'll wrap it up on this, is if you're in debt, you don't need credit cards. I mean, it, it, and then we could obviously have an argument about whether or not they're beneficial if you're out of debt. Um, we can have different opinions on that, but uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna 
if you want to get out of that ditch, stop digging. And and the first way to do that is like you gotta you gotta get rid of these credit cards. Gotta get them under control. I know for me, I had massive amounts of debt. I made really good money, but spent even better money. Mm-hmm. And so I had six figures worth of debt, and I had fourteen active credit cards, and the car payments, and the mortgage on the oversized house with more toilets than people. Like it just, I had all this stuff that wasn't bringing me joy, satisfaction. A sense of meaning to my life. You know, can I tell you something? Like, when you say that, and I hear you, and I, I can just see it in your face, like, it looks like hell to me yeah. to just have all this stuff around. And I, I want to just contrast the name of the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, with this idea, as you said, of opulence. My rich life, I've lived in the same apartment for 10 years. It's a one bedroom apartment. I love it, it's very nice. But my net worth has increased over the last decade, and I stayed. I picked the best, and I stayed there. I picked the best computer, and I kept it. On the other hand, so that's not important to me. I actually was driving around LA, and I saw these massive houses, and I didn't feel like I want that. Not at all. I felt like, oh my God, that's a lot of maintenance. (laughs) Who's going to clean the dust off that side? I don't want it. Yeah, but also you can appreciate it. Uh, and I, that's what I like about your perspective is it, it's just like if you go to the LACMA and you see a Picasso painting, you can enjoy it without having to consume that's it. That's right. Yes. And that, that is really when you start to understand your own desires and acknowledge them. It's like, I appreciate the beauty and the art and the craft, but that's not for me. On the other hand, there are things that I absolutely love and I save or invest to be able to enjoy them. And some of them are physical material goods. Some of them are, like you said, experiences. So uh, I just, I want everyone to be unapologetic about what they love, but also know that just because your net worth increases, you don't have to buy another car, Land Rover, new apartment, new computer. You can keep that stuff as it is. You can focus like a laser on the stuff you want. Yes, indeed. We got several uh, more surprise questions here. What are your opinions using uh, about using credit cards to accrue points? What investment recommendations do you have for those seeking early retirement? We could talk about that. If a house payment is the same as a rent payment, could that be considered good debt to take on? If I'm, and I, We actually might disagree on that one. That'll be fascinating. Um, if I'm going to college, is it wiser, wiser to continue investing in my retirement accounts or invest instead in my education and minimize my school loans? And finally, how should I prepare financially to leave an unsatisfying job that provides a comfortable living to instead pursue a more satisfying career. And if you want to hear all that, you can listen to this week's Maximal episode, available exclusively on Patreon. That's right, you're currently listening to our weekly Minimal episode, but each week we record an entirely different, much longer Maximal episode on The Minimalist's private podcast, which gives us the private space we need to talk about stuff we don't usually talk about in public. Plus, Patreon is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement free. When you subscribe to the Minimalist Private Podcast on Patreon, you'll also receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. You'll also get access to our entire back catalog of more than 100 private podcast episodes. Find all the details and all the good stuff, including an additional private podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. And now, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, I'm Carrie from Denver with a tip about answering the what do you do question. I love your advice about answering that question by saying what I'm passionate about, 
But I found that my answers were being dismissed a little bit, maybe because I'm a stay-at-home mom and there's a little bit of, like, an entitled stigma attached to that role. So I tweaked my response. Now I answer with, I work really hard at maximizing the things that matter most to our family. I'm an ambassador of purposeful living, so to speak. And then I go on to talk about writing and camping and the other things that I'm passionate about and ask the other person what they are passionate about. It's opened up some really incredible conversations, and I'm so grateful for your advice. Hi, my name is Tracy Willis, and I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I have a comment. I was listening to your Vermont show, and somebody asked about children and how to be a minimalist with all the stuff that comes with that, and I wanted to share a couple of tips. I have a one-year-old, and we started our minimalism journey when I was seven months pregnant before she was born. And a couple of tips I have learned over the last year or so is um, our follows. <clears throat> for gifts, ask for passes or memberships to local museums, zoos, gymnastics centers, etc. These get you and your child out of the house and engage you in your community. There's also um, extra perks, discounts, or special events for members that... Um, that come with those passes, and it's a really great way to do it. Another thing is oftentimes children under two are free for those, so really your membership only includes you. Um, maybe your other family members are plus ones. As far as toys go, rental services exist in many places. Our local library, for example, allows uh, has a toy lending service, so you can rotate toys out and take them back without cluttering up your space. There are also online subscription services that are, that are similar. One local one for us is called Bloom Box, and it has really beautiful toys and educational activities that go along with them that you rent uh, for a month and send back. Um, another thing about toys is that I found is designating a space in your home to keep those toys so that they're not ending up everywhere around the house um, really helps you to kind of keep ma- manage what you actually have. And once that space fills up, you can get rid of those toys or let go of toys. Um, toys can also be donated if they're in good condition to daycare centers, children's hospitals, shelters, um, etc. You can also sell them at stores like Once Upon a Child. Um, as far as clothes, I've found going for secondhand is um, very helpful as many of the clothes get ruined or messy anyway. Often also the child grows out of clothes before they're able to wear them very much, so it's nice to not have spent a ton on it. Um, And no matter what, baby clothes are pretty much cute because they're tiny and cute. ThreadUp is another great website that I've used to buy things um, that are in great condition, as well as Once Upon a Child. And then finally, with accessories, try a packing party with your bottles, your towels, your bibs, anything um, that isn't like the toys and everything. Uh, And if you don't use those things in 21 days, you probably don't need them. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Ramit for joining us today. Make sure you check out his book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. You can also find him online, IWT.com is his website. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. If you like coffee, well, if you like good coffee, you know, Ryan and I own a coffee shop down in St. Petersburg, Florida, or at least we're partners in a coffee shop with Joshua and Sarah Weaver, our friends down there. And... uh, Until recently, the only place you could get our coffee was in the four walls of the coffee shop. But now it's available online. And each month we're doing something called the Minimalist Choice. It's our favorite coffee that we're roasting and drinking right now from Bandit. So if you want to find that, you just go to theminimalists.coffee. 
theminimalists.coffee. You can find The Minimalist Choice, our favorite coffee of this month, if you want to check out our coffee and see what we are drinking. Also, if you want to check out our favorite coffee houses throughout the United States and worldwide. We just put a list and it's a growing list as well. You can find that at theminimalists.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's called The Minimalist Favorite Coffee. All right. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, leave us a voicemail 406-219-7839 or send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, then sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. And you'll also receive our simple Sunday emails each week. For our added value this week, let's listen to our pal Matt Carney's new old song. This year is the 10th anniversary of Matt's second album, City of Black and White. It's my favorite of his six albums. And he's currently bringing new life to songs from that collection by by stripping them down to their beautiful bones. When I reached out to him, he told me that he, quote, went minimal with this project. Uh, Here is the revisited, reprised, and reassembled, stripped-down title track for Matt Carney's City of Black and White. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. This old city's black and white. Tell me what is your color? Cause it'd be the same as mine. Faded greens in the street lights. This red fire burning from the sea up to the sky. I don't want to wait until tomorrow Tell you how I feel the rest of my life You don't want to waste another minute When you realize Walking on the dark side of the evening Maybe it was you that opened my eyes Burning like fire on the water In the city of black and white Won't you just stay? Won't you just stay?